0: Welcome to the Encounter Church podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right. Well, today we are in part four of a five week series that we're processing through uh, the part of the Godhead that oftentimes we discount, we push to the side, we throw to the kids' table and we don't really talk about it because for some reason or another, we're not really sure how to deal with this guy. In fact, we've titled this series, Who's That? Somebody this morning told me I should have called it, Who Dat? So whatever, whichever way you want to say it, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. We're taking the time to discover what role does the Holy Spirit want to play in in our lives today, because truth be told, it's so important that we spend time and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he does in our lives. Jesus said himself, man, guys, I've got to go away, because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit can't come. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in your life? What does that look like? Last week, we took the time to look at four truths. Regarding the Holy Spirit and today I want to process through what does it mean when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit now for some of you this is old news for some of you this is stuff you've heard for many many years because you grew up in an environment where the Holy Spirit was prevalent and utilized. Others of you, this is brand new information. So some things that we talk about in this series, I'm repeating um, a little bit because I want to make sure that we're really grabbing a hold of all that the Holy Spirit brings to the table in our lives. So today, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and what happens when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, look at our text. It's found in Acts chapter 2, Verse 17 simply says this, in the last days, let me pause for a moment. How many of you would agree with me that we are living in the last days? Yeah, absolutely. I remember as a kid, we talked a lot about the last days. We talked about the rapture of the church. I mean, it was so regular that for me, and some of you were like me, if mom and dad went out on a little trip, maybe mom and dad went um, on a date night, and I was home alone, and if they didn't show back up at the time that they said they were showing up, I was looking out the window trying to make sure that the Christians in the neighborhood were still there. Come on, anybody else like that? See, Jackie and Harold lived right across the street, and I knew that if I saw them walk out the front door, all was good. I didn't miss the rapture. But I'm looking at today, and I'm realizing that, man, we're so much closer to the return of Christ now than we ever have been before. So I would venture to say that, yes, we are living in the last days. And the Bible says here, God is speaking, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, who does that include? Everyone, all. Nobody is left out. And I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I heard somebody say one time, the reason that old men dream the dreams is because we sleep longer. I don't know if that's true or not, but hey, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I I look at this scripture and I wonder, is this the desire, is this the heart's cry of the church today? or have we just become satisfied with doing church just going through the motions we we feel better about ourselves because i i punched that spiritual time card I, I sat in my seat i have a regular seat you see and and nobody else sits in my regular seat this is where i always sit and if somebody sits in my seat i'm going to stand there until they move don't do that But is this the desire? Is this longing for the outpouring of the Spirit? God says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Is this our heart's cry? I pray that we as a church, we as Encounter Church, are so hungry for the things of God that He will pour out His Spirit upon us, not so that we can boast, Not so that we can brag about who we are, but so that all glory and all honor and all praise can be given back to God. In the book, Clear the Stage, by Pastor Scott Wilson, he makes this statement. He says, speaking in tongues doesn't make you superior to people or churches who don't. Come on. Let that sink in just for a moment. Speaking in tongues doesn't make you superior to people or churches who don't. It just makes you superior to the person you were before you received the Spirit's power. Come on, it doesn't make you some mightier or holier individual than somebody who has never been filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I'm telling you what, it makes you superior to who you used to be before you received the Holy Spirit. Church, we must come to the place in which we are so hungry for more of God that our hunger for Him propels us forward so that we're not the same tomorrow as we were today. We have to so hunger for a mighty move of God's Spirit that we, we long for His presence more than we do for the, than the approval of people outside these walls. We long for an outpouring of His Spirit more than we do community events more than we do hobbies and activities. That we make his presence a priority in our lives. I fear that in today's culture, we've made our relationship with God more of a convenience thing rather than a conviction. What do I mean by that? We'll give God time as long as nothing better comes up. The Bible says in Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word filled here literally means to fulfill or to satisfy a desire. So I wonder today, are you filled to the capacity in which you hunger? Go on, let me ask that again. Are you filled to the capacity in which you hunger? See, for some of us, that's, that's not hard because that which we hunger for is so small. The desire that we have is is minimal at best. So to be filled to that capacity, it doesn't take much. But the Bible says that the capacity in which we hunger, the capacity in which we long for more of God, is in which the capacity in which he will fill us. They that hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. Again, in the book Clear the Stage by Pastor Scott Wilson, he makes this statement. I want to read a, a section out of the book on page 58 of the book for you. He says, many of us have right doctrines, but our hearts are reserved. Come on, think about that. We, we've got the right knowledge base. We have the right foundation that we build upon. We, we have the right details, but our hearts are reserved. We're, we're holding back. We, we kind of push back in this adventure, in this journey with God. We say we've given our whole heart to Jesus, but our prayers are routine and our praise is tepid. When you pray, are you aware that you are connecting with the one who spoke and the galaxies were flung into space? Does it amaze you that the Son of God stepped out of the splendor of heaven to set foot on earth as a servant to live and die for those that will ignore and despise him? If there's no wonder, there's no praise. If we're not amazed, we'll hold something back. If we're not stunned by the grace of God for sinners like us, we will serve half-heartedly or only in order to be noticed by people. What does that do to your heart when you hear that? How would you respond If someone was reading this as if they were speaking it to your life, how would you respond? Some in the room, some watching online today, would put up a defense wall to create excuses of reasons why you are or aren't hungry and in awe for more of God setting up excuses of of why you haven't quite stepped to that place. I'm not saying these things this morning to guilt you into anything. I'm saying all this today to help us to really begin to think what's happening in our spiritual journey with God. Have our prayers just become Routine? Is our worship not just here in the room, but when we're out by ourselves, is our worship nothing more than spiritual karaoke? Or are we truly in awe of who God is, of what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives? You see, God will fill you if you want to be filled. It's as simple as that. Those that hunger for righteousness will be filled. Do we truly desire more of God than we ever have before? Or. Are we simply satisfied? Hmm. You guys are quiet today. I I know this is a lot. I know know that I'm kind of laying a heavy load, but I I just want to get you thinking today. See, I wouldn't be loving you like a pastor needs to love you if I just gave you the easy stuff. I never want you to walk out these doors and go, you know what? There's nothing to chew on. But I believe that from cover to cover, from in the beginning to the amen, there's a lot to chew on. I want to challenge you today to really do a hard look at your life. I- I'm not questioning whether you have a relationship with Jesus. Some of you, some of you, man, you are all in in your journey with Christ. Some of you, and it's your first time here. You've never given your heart and life to Jesus. I want to challenge you. Figure out where you are in this process. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't save you more. It just fills you with the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. I truly believe That God wants to do what the prophet Joel declared in our text. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Yet God's not going to pour something into our lives that we don't desire. God's not going to pour something into our hearts that we're not longing for. You're not going to trip one day and fall into the Holy Spirit. But it's a longing and a hunger and a desire for more and more and more of God. It's desiring God more than just a Sunday morning church service. God will pour out his spirit. So today I want to look at two questions regarding the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Number one is this. And some of you need to take really good notes. Because this is going to be something you're going to want to go back to. You're, you're going to want to dive into your Bible. You're going to want to research this a little bit more. The question is, what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a spiritual experience following that of Salvation. Where the follower of Jesus is filled, completely consumed with the Holy Spirit. Now the word baptism means to immerse. Next Sunday, we're going to have a water baptism. If you've never been baptized in water, this is a great commandment that Jesus sets forward. It's a, it's a public profession Of our faith. In other words, it's saying, Lord, I've given my life to you. I've asked you to come in and forgive me, and I want to be baptized in water. So please forgive me for a moment. I'm jumping off baptism of the Holy Spirit on to baptism in water just for a moment. And we we immerse the individual in water. And the word immersion literally means you are consumed from head to toe. When you come out of that water, every morsel of your being is going to be wet, right? If you haven't been baptized in water, I, I challenge you, get signed up for that. I'm told that The early Greeks would use this word in reference to a a ship that was sinking. It was submerged deep into the depths of the water. Or maybe they would use it when a city was overwhelmed by so many people. They say the, the city is immersed with people. Therefore, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit... It's as if the sunken ship is saturated by water. It's as if the city is saturated by people. We are saturated. We are immersed in the presence of God, the Spirit of God. Now, some would hesitate with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid that that God will cause them to do something weird. Now, next week, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, We're going to look at the difference between chaos and purpose. And I'm going to be completely transparent with you. Uh, The church world has had a, a history of making the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit weird. But truth be told, God is not weird. We are. Come on, look at your neighbor this morning. Say, you're weird. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're weird. Man, we have this tendency of just making things weird. But God is not going to make you do something. The Holy Spirit is not going to make you do something that's weird. Next week, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at some of the, the order that God sets in motion. The Bible says that God is not a God of chaos, but God is a God of order. In other words, God's not weird. He has a purpose and a plan. But again, as we've talked about, salvation is the prerequisite to the encounter of the Holy Spirit. We talked about that in session one, when the Holy Spirit, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes residence in you. But beyond that, there's not a specific time frame attached to to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a separate occurrence from that of salvation. The baptism is a personal experience between you and God. Now, for some people, and I don't have the answer as to why this is, but for some people, they receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit rather quickly after they Ask Jesus to come into their lives. Others, perhaps this is you in the room, it took quite some time for you to come to this place of being saturated or a, immersed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But listen carefully. Never allow this to cause you to question God's love for you or his acceptance of you. Let me say that again. If it takes some time, for you to receive this gift this baptism of the holy spirit don't allow that to cause you to question god's love for you or even his acceptance of you god is a personal god that desires to work on a personal time frame for each and every one of us now in the new testament the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a natural experience for those that desired more of God. Now, let me back up, just in case we're not trekking here. There's two sections of the Bible. There's the Old Testament, and this is all the information prior to Jesus. And then you have the New Testament, beginning with the book of Matthew, moving forward. This starts with Jesus and moves forward In progression. Okay, so in the New Testament, Jesus has come. Jesus lived 33 and and a half years and he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. Three days later, he gathered together with his believers and before he ascended to heaven, several days took by or went by in this time frame. But before he ascended back to heaven, he looked at them and he made a very powerful statement. He says, go to Jerusalem and wait. Wait for this promise that the Father is going to send to you. Wait for this advocate that the Father wants to send to you. It's vitally important, he says, that you receive the Holy Spirit. So in the early church... They saw such an urgency, they saw how critical it was that the early believers received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that when news got back to the leaders of the church that somebody had given their life to Christ, they would send them to that location to have a conversation and pray with them. Take a look what it says, Acts chapter 8. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that people in Samaria had received God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived. Come on, that's important. We're going to talk about that in a moment. They prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, pastor, did they receive the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Verse 17 says that these apostles laid hands on these new believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit and began speaking in an unknown language. But if we go back to verse 15, we discover that these Early leaders, these apostles of the church, when they heard the news, they saw such urgency to pray that the Holy Spirit consumes the new believers that they instantly went on their way and when they arrived, they didn't take time to rest. They didn't kick their shoes off and eat a meal or even unpack their luggage. No, they began to pray for the new Christians that they would receive the Holy Spirit. So I look at this and I realize if it was vital for the early church, how much more important is it for us today? Come on. If the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was so urgent in the early church that they sent the apostles instantly to go find the new believers, to pray for them that they would receive the Holy Spirit, if that was so important then, how much more do we need the infilling of the Holy Spirit today? How much more serious should we take it? Here's our second question. How do I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I know? There's a, if you ever become a member of Encounter Church, there's a line on there that says, have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes or no. How do I know whether I put yes or no? What's the answer to that? Well, week one, I covered this in great detail. In fact, if you're just now jumping on this journey with us, man, you jumped in at the meat of it all. I'm going I'm to challenge you, go back and listen to weeks one, two, and three, because that kind of sets some foundation of where we are today. But I want to recap very quickly the five results that I gave to you week one. How do I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Now these results are taken directly out of the 16 fundamental truths of the Assemblies of God. Now some of you, that doesn't make a whole lot of difference. You don't even know what that is. That's the 16 non-negotiables that the Assemblies of God stands upon that's the 16 truths that every assemblies of god pastor when we renew our credentials every year there's a question that says do you wholeheartedly agree with the 16 fundamental truths of the assemblies of god these are our non-negotiables so these results are taken directly from that. How do I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Result number one is this. You'll have a noticeable passion for God. Yeah. A noticeable passion. What does that mean? I mean, it's, it's noticeable. <laughs> That's rocket science right there, isn't it? That means you can see, man, there's something about you, Have you ever met that person when you're out and about and you're like, man, there is something about you. Man, there is just some sort of passion and drive and, and excitement. There's something stirring on the inside. That's what we're talking about here. You'll have a noticeable passion for God, a longing for more of him. The second result, you'll have a deepened reverence for God. In other words, you take the things of God seriously. You're not just playing games. There's a reverence for who he is. Number three, you will have an intensified commitment to God. You're serving God out of a commitment, a longing, a desire. Number four, you'll have a more active love for Jesus, for his word, and for the lost. What do I mean by the lost? I'm not talking about those that can't find their way across town. I'm talking about those that are lost without a relationship with Jesus Christ. Those that haven't taken the time to say, Lord, come into my heart and come into my life. They're spiritually lost. An evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll have a more active love for Jesus, for the Bible, his word, and for the lost. And, and the fifth one is this. You will have an unknown language. I'm going to take a few moments and unpack that just a little bit. Um, this is the one that oftentimes causes a bit of confusion amongst the church, different denominations. We, sh- we don't struggle with this idea of passion we don't struggle with the idea of having a greater reverence for God. We don't even under, um, struggle with the commitment for God. We have no issue about an act of love for Jesus, the Bible, and those without Jesus. But when it comes to speaking in what's referred to as tongues or an unknown language, we kind of raise our eyebrows a little bit. there's a little bit of confusion, perhaps some Push back, and truth be told, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this idea of speaking in an unknown language. Now, it was Dr. George Wood, a former superintendent of the Assemblies of God, in other words, the former head guy for the Assemblies of God, that in his book, Living in the Spirit, made this statement. If you look at the first century church, all the writers of the New Testament spoke in tongues, and the early church spoke in tongues. In other words, every writer of the New Testament was baptized in the Holy Spirit with this evidence of an unknown language. The early church saw the importance of this unknown language. So Pentecostalism, at its roots, is basically a restoration movement. We believe that we can cut through 20 centuries of church tradition and get back to the original church. It doesn't mean that we do everything like the original church, but we're trying to have the same doctrine and experience of the early church. In other words, we're taking the entire Bible... And we're applying all of it into our lives. Now, throughout this series, we've talked about the evidence. We've talked about the power of the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, based on what we see in Scripture, there's this initial physical evidence experienced by believers. We believe, the assumers of God believe, the Pentecostal movement Believes that the initial physical evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Now, in Acts chapter 2, we see the first occurrence. It says, On the day of Pentecost, now remember, all the early believers went to Jerusalem, and they were waiting for this outpouring. All the believers were meeting together in one place, Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So the sound of a mighty rushing wind began to sweep Across the place, what looked like flames of fire settled upon their heads and they began speaking in an unknown language as the Spirit gave them the ability. Now, since that day, believers in the New Testament, and truth be told, believers today have experienced this physical evidence of speaking in an unknown language. It's both initial and physical. So why don't we believe that all the original manifestations occur when we're filled? In other words, why do we believe that only speaking in tongues in an unknown language is the initial evidence? Why aren't we waiting for the sound of a mighty rushing wind? Why aren't we waiting for flames of fire to settle upon our heads Because as you proceed through the word of God, the only one that is repeated each and every time that someone is filled with the Holy Spirit is the initial physical evidence of speaking in this unknown language. Every other time, flames of fire didn't settle. Every other time, we didn't have a mighty windstorm blowing through But every single time, this initial physical evidence of tongues was present. So what do these words mean? Initial It's the first indication of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Physical, something that happened in a physical realm. Evidence, there's an outward sign, a manifestation that something is occurring. So we see this initial physical evidence means that when someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit, you actually see and you hear the outward indication of the experience that's going on in the physical world as they began to speak in tongues. But here's the question. Why did God choose to use tongues as the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? Are you ready for the answer? I have no idea. I have no idea. We read through the Bible and it doesn't say, here's why this happens. One theory is this. The tongue is the most unruly member of the body. In fact, the book of James chapter three says, we can't control our tongue. If we could learn how to control our tongue, man, life would be so much better. Anybody ever have problems controlling your tongue? Amen. Absolutely. So when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, when you experience this initial physical evidence of speaking in tongues, even the un, the most unruly member of your body shows evidence of a submission to God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and utilizing this infilling is something that we should do ongoing. It's not a one-time occurrence. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I challenge you, use this prayer language regularly. The Bible says in Galatians 5, but I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. Why? Because we leak. Do you leak? I do. Man, if I, if I find that I don't spend time with God, I begin to spiritually leak. And, and I feel that void in my life. I feel that, that emptiness in my life. I need the Holy Spirit on a regular basis. So if you've given your life to Jesus, you've experienced part of the Holy Spirit, you've experienced the conviction of sin, you've experienced this desire to turn toward God, but there's so much more that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. He wants to be baptized. Jesus wants to baptize you in the Holy Spirit to immerse you, to saturate you. Again, this idea of a baptism in the Holy Spirit is not a suggestion from Jesus. He looked at the early believers he said do not leave jerusalem don't leave jerusalem until the holy spirit comes until you receive the holy spirit church i challenge you today don't be satisfied spiritually with just a portion of what god has to offer But long for, thirst for, hunger for all that the Spirit wants to do in your life. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.